growing up in Liberia, I see myself as one of the fortunate females. Um, growing up at the age of two, I had polio. And polio left me with uh, effect on my right leg. And so I walk with a limp. But not only did polio have one negative aspect on me, but I was a girl. And for girls in Liberia, we, our chances of advancing are very slim. But it was fortunate for me that uh, an American family took me in and gave me the opportunity of going to school, growing up in a loving family, and having all of the necessary foundational blocks that would direct my life to where I am today. And when I got, you know, grown up, finished high school, I went to nursing school, got married and started a family. But then in came this civil conflict that just, you know, turned everything upside down. And here I find myself a professional nurse. I worked for this multi-million dollar iron ore company. Um, we had everything that we needed for a comfortable life, but then all of that was stripped away. And I started thinking, you know, but then what becomes of my children? Um, there was no electricity, running water was cut off. I mean, everything that we would say was, you know, a, a structural um, environment for people to survive, you know, at least and have hopes and dreams, you know, being realized were all stripped away. And I found myself using my nursing profession um, to help those around me. And as I went around the communities were doing deliveries in my house, um, women moving from place to place, getting into labor. We have to go and help, you know, assist them to deliver their babies, you know. And, I mean, it was it was just like a bad dream. But as, as the years dragged on, I didn't want my children to feel that conflict and, and just this survival mode was normal. And so I was able to um, link up with some other people that were fortunate to have, you know, funding from UNICEF to see how we could help our children who were used as child soldiers, both boys and girls, to see how we could redirect and formulate, you know, give them rehabilitation. And um, being that I was more educated than women in my community, I had to, you know, step back and help them to, to, to see how they could, with their you know, minimal skills they had, be able to help. And over the years, we were able to you know, get in the rehabilitation process of, of boys and girls that fought. And when the project from USAID and UNICEF got over, then I founded my own organization, which is called Touching Humanity in Need of Kindness. And the reason um, I got two other ladies to join me to, to start this organization was to really focus in on women and children's rights. Um, in Africa, as, as um, Ebenezer said, we just um, survive. And everyone is in this survival mode. The young people don't really sit and dream dreams. You know, um, you're looking for your next meal. You're trying to see, you don't even think about tomorrow. You want to end today. And I said, you know, for me, it's not 
you know, just for today, but let's look at the bigger picture. Let's look outside of the box. And so I got more and more involved into our women's empowerment movement. Um, I was a leader of a women's group in our local um, community. And as time went on, we started um, attending meetings, attending some of the, the UN functions. And because our organization was young, we wanted to see how we could get formal training, you know, to help women, to help other women. And we were able to get funding from Samaritan's Purse and started a girl's home. And the reason we started the home was, you know, if a person's basic needs are not met, their chances of succeeding are minimal. And so we started it as a residential program so they didn't have to you know, find transportation to come every day. They have food to eat because they were there. And because we have a high teenage pregnancy rate, we allowed 10 of the 25 girls to come in with their babies. Either she was pregnant when she came or she had a young child under five. And so we catered to the mom and her baby. And then the 15 girls were single girls. You know, they didn't have any children, but they could come in. But the gap that was there was education. Because of the long years of conflict, kids didn't go to school. And so here they are, 18, 15, 16, and they're just in kindergarten, second grade. You know, and so in order to help them to empower their skills, they had to have basic literacy infused into whatever programs you were doing. So we have a literacy components, we have vocational skills training, and then we do what we call life skills. In life skills, we bring in um, sexual and reproductive health. We bring in critical thinking, decision making, goal setting. How can you dream about tomorrow? What do you want to be two years from now? What do you want to, where do you see yourself five years from now? And because the girls are in a safe environment, um, they're able to focus on you know, learning whatever skill they decided they wanted to learn that would give them economic empowerment skills. And um, over the years, we've had 11 groups of girls, 25 at a time, come through the Monrovia home um, where they do basic literacy. And we keep track of those girls when they leave us. Um, some are in university now, some are in high school. We have one that has migrated to Minnesota, you know, so we keep in touch with them. And um, looking over the years too was, how can we be a part of national change? Um, we've been involved with a lot of advocacy. Um, we got training from a group that's called Let Girls Lead Now, but in the beginning they were called Agali. Um, is advancing the rights of adolescent girls in leadership. And we, you know, were able to get real training on what advocacy is. And advocacy, you know, even now we're using it is to get women to be a part of participation in national decisions. We're in the process now of looking at our national constitution. What do women have to say about what's in the constitution for them? And, um, you know, so all of this thing has, you know, brought me to a place that, you know, I was not just born to exist. You know, I want to leave behind something that, you know, one day they would say, you know, there was this lady called Rosanna and she helped me to make a decision to this and that. Then that's fulfillment to me. 
you know, that I'm able to at least help somebody help somebody else. That's Rosanna Shack. She's the founder and the executive director of Pink Inc., which is touching humanity in need of kindness, which is based in Liberia. And Rosanna is in Colorado because she's being honored by the Denver based organization New Dimension of Hope. She's going to be accepting their 2015 Loop Award Leadership Overcoming Obstacles of Peace at the luncheon on June 6th, 2015. Rosanna, we're talking about the work that you're doing at Pink and the homes that you've set up. And we really having education and literacy for women and young girls um, as a building block for greater things for Liberia. The reality in the civil war, never mind Ebola, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but the, the civil conflict, rape was such a huge component of that. I think I read an estimated 40,000 women were believed to have been raped during the conflict. And we're saying women, but this is also young girls as well. And as a result of that, there are there's a whole generation of babies who were born out of that conflict, but a whole generation of young women and girls who were sometimes shunned by their family and communities. I mean, what was the reality around how rape was used during the civil conflict in Liberia? Um, the reality was gruesome, just as the statistics have um, stated. And even up to now, post-conflict is still a huge problem. One of the programs my organization has um, sort of taken a lead in is the whole aspect of prevention and responding to sexual violence. Um, We are part of the implementing partners of UNFPA. And um, I had the opportunity to connect with a group in Washington called Vital Voices. And they took us on a mentoring program in 2010. And I visited family justice centers in Brooklyn, New York. Um, We went to Phoenix, Arizona. You know, we just saw some of what was being done on the American side. And it was very interesting to me that I, you know, I think this will be able to help us back home. And when I went back home, I met with our Ministry of Gender and share this program, you know, with them. And so the Swedish government, through the Ministry of Gender, have put in funding to see how we can open up what we call one-stop centers. And the one-stop centers are places where it's a health facility, but we have an office for law enforcement, the police to take statements. We have a legal advocate office. We have the counselors, and we have medical examinations, you know, all of that in one place. And um, what is so sad is the cases that are reported are cases of children under 18. And um, the, the numbers are, you know, not going down. But we are seeing if we can take note of communities where more cases come from, we focus in on community training. Um, What are the family lives like? You know, how can people look at women and girls and children not as objects to satisfy their sexual desires? Um, But what we are looking at now is to see how we can really um, apprehend perpetrators Giving them rehabilitation is one thing, but then also how can you pinpoint who did it when you don't have forensics? 
You cannot prove in a court of law without any reasonable doubt if you don't have scientific proof. And so those, um, that is one of the areas we're trying to um, advocate for, for the forensics to come in to help, to at least be able to, you know, process and to legally hold people accountable. Um, another area um, that has been a little discouraging for families of girls, especially even little boys now, we're getting more numbers of little boys who have been sodomized. And so how can we be able to apprehend people, hold them accountable? Because once it goes to court and you can approve, it's thrown out and people get discouraged. And we're doing a lot of training of children themselves in protecting themselves. Um, there's a buddy program that don't go anywhere alone. Two or three kids go together. Um, the little girls wear pants under their skirts, you know, under their uniforms, just to make it a little harder for somebody to, to undress them. And also shouting, you know, some communities were saying, let's give them a whistle, that they will blow a whistle and somebody, an adult, will come around to help. So there are different, different um, areas we're looking at when it comes to preventing um, sexual violence even before it happens. What you're talking about there really speaks to rape by strangers, but the statistics are also showing that the majority of the rape is by a husband, by a partner, by somebody they know. And People so they know. that seems to go to a very deep societal level. I mean, is it even legally acknowledged that a husband can rape a wife? Because I know that has been an issue in other countries. They, our rape law, they had to take that out because um, according to our... <laughs> our what what would I say lawmakers or whatever once a woman is married her husband has every right over her body she cannot refuse him and so the whole issue of marital rape was taken out of the rape law but we are still seeing how we can put it back and a lot of the rapes as you said are not by strangers are people their neighbors even their stepdads, their cousins in the house, you know, so that's when it became necessary that we had a safe home that takes the little kids away from there where we're trying to either relocate them, um, find um, boarding schools for them to go to, you know, those kinds of interventions um, because it's people they know are more the perpetrators than strangers. Rosanna Shack is the founder and executive director of Pink Inc. Touching Humanity in Need of Kindness, an NGO in Liberia. And she's in Colorado being honored by a Denver based organization that is opening a school in Liberia. Their mission is to bring education, particularly to empower women and girls through education in Liberia. That organization is New Dimension of Hope. And they're honoring Rosanna with their leadership overcoming obstacles of peace, their Loop Award at a luncheon in Denver on June 6th. Well, Rosanna, Ebola has really brought Liberia, unfortunately, once again, to the front pages of newspapers around the world. However, it's recently been declared to be Ebola free, which has uh, led to great celebrations, I know, in Liberia itself. How were women specifically impacted by what happened with Ebola and the Ebola outbreak? Um, women were, and it seems like women are always at the, the brunt of, of bad things. Um, women were fortunate to survive when they got infected, some of them. Um, but 
a lot of them became widows. And a widow, she's a survivor of Ebola, and she's also a widow. Now she's left with her own children. She's left with children of her relatives. She's going to be put out of where she lived because she doesn't have an income to continue paying rent for that facility. So we're going to see a lot of homelessness coming out of um, women who have been, you know, survivors. Some of them are put out because they are a survivor. You know, um, the stigmatization of, of having this terrible, terrible disease that kills so many people, so landlords don't want you in their house anymore. Um, and also the economic, you know, effect has really, really been great on women. So um, UN Women is trying to bring up an economic recovery program for women in Liberia. Um, we had before the, uh, the outbreak of Ebola, done some business skills training with women, and now we're, you know, collecting the information of where women are in different parts of the country to see how we can bring them back to economic recovery. Um, a lot of your farmers are women. A lot of your petty traders are women. And you can imagine they have gone across the border, brought goods in, and because of Ebola, everything had to be sprayed with chlorine and all of their, you know, business goods got damaged. Where do they get money to start over? You know, so um, those are issues that we have been you know, having focus group discussions with women, you know, in different parts of the country. And also um, going back to the effects, school. Schools were closed down for so long. And now how do parents pay the tuition for their kids to get back in school? So that is another major challenge, you know, when it comes to the effects of Ebola. But getting women to, to rejoice that they did survive. And um, what was interesting in Western Liberia, people did not want to be called survivors because of the heavy stigmatization. But in central, northern Liberia, people said, we are so happy we survived. I mean, at least when I wake up in the morning, I just tell God, thank you, I see another day. You know, and so how can we get that mindset to go to the women in western Liberia? So it's going to be a lot of conflict resolution in communities to stop stigmatization. To, 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 to rejoice with people, you know, this is a second chance you have. And if the national government, the international community did so well in coming into our aid, um, and because our health system was already very, very weak and scattered, and I mean, if the international community had not come in when they did, it, it could have still been very, very bad up to now. What do you credit the um, stopping of the Ebola outbreak in Liberia with? I mean, was it the Ministry for Health? Was it the government? Was it the NGOs going in? Was it people on the ground? Was it the community themselves? I mean, where do you see as being the real success in terms of those who fought Ebola? The real success came from community. Um, I remember in August, you know, by July, we were getting this peak and high numbers. Nobody knew where to step. You couldn't even go out of your house. I mean, there was this high amount of fear. But by August, we started engaging the Ministry of Health, my organization. And I said, you guys know what? We own the communities. Our communities have trust in us. Just empower us with the message you want and we will spread it for you. 
And not only that, but young people, you know, they were talking about young people. And Liberia's population is more than half of people under 20. 54.6% are young people. And so um, our young people in communities wanted the training so they could go from house to house, you know, teaching people how to wash hands properly, how to disinfect, you know, and, and, and UNICEF gave us funding for what we call the A-Life. A-Life stands for Adolescents Leading Intensive Fight Against Ebola, A-L-I-F-E. And in a very congested community in Monrovia, these young people, we had 150 young girls and about 20 boys, and they went from house to house in their community. And it spread to other communities so that it wasn't government coming out of their ministries because a lot of people were told to sit, for, you know, sit home and only essential staff went to work. So once the ministry trained, then we will go out and train, and others will train, and they went from community to community, and that was the, the strength of, of stopping Ebola. Rosanna Shack, you are recognized as a global leader um, and an advocate for rights for women and children, obviously, through your work in Liberia. We've talked about the high levels of sexual assault and rape during the civil conflict, but also aftermath in civil society and what's happening right now and how women disproportionately impacted by stuff like the Ebola outbreak. This is all happening with the female president. I mean, what is the reality in terms of women accessing those levels of you know policy making and decision making? Because, you know, on the surface to have a female president looks like, wow, that's a pretty empowered society regarding gender equality. But when you look deeper at a societal level, that doesn't seem to be the reality. Yeah, you're very, very right. Um, having a female president, we were all into it. I mean, to our eyebrows, you know, pushing that at least we get a female president, which we did get in two terms. But the reality is everything is still male-dominated. And um, how can we get women to changing their own mindset that, that they can do things? You know, as Ebenezer said before, women are in this um, rut of, I need a man to push me, or I, I can't do this without. Now, if you have um, elections for, for senators and representatives, it's the women that push men into seats instead of pushing a woman into a, a, a public seat. And um, what we found is a lot of times the information of civic responsibility, civic you know, rights of every citizen is not known. Um, people are, you know, in Africa, we are used to having one leader, and whatever the leader says, everybody follows, nobody questions. But now, when we look at what women have done, even to have their families survive, to have communities to survive, these women are leaders. And because they have not found their power, they have not found their voice to, to speak out about what power they have. You know, they are always satisfied to sit back and let a man rule. But when it comes to issues of marriage, you know, I said we are in the process of re-looking um, at our Constitution. There's a constitutional review going on right now. And there were issues brought out, and one of them had to do with the language in the Constitution, everything is a he, he, he. 
our president is a she. So we think that should be corrected. There's a, a situation on the rights of children. Children are not mentioned in the, in the formal constitution. So who is a child? What age should be in the constitution that we can define who a child is? And then what are rights for children? It needs to be mentioned. There are um, the issues of women participation. Now, in the UN, they are talking about at least 30% of public you know, office and um, um, other areas of jobs or whatever should go to women. It's not a reality for the Liberian women. Um, we have a female president. But um, in our legislature, we had elections last year, and instead of our numbers of females into the Senate and House of Representatives increasing, they are decreasing. So what is it? Do our women not want to be represented, or are they still having this male-dominant, you know, mindset that, you know, women can't do, but our president is there? You know, so we're looking at um, going into our rural communities and helping women see where their strengths are. The power is theirs to elect whoever they want as a leader. Why not a woman? What are strengths even in their homes? They are doing the, the hard work. They are the ones making their husbands look good to go to work every day. But then who recognizes it? Have you had any pushback from people in Liberia, whether it's at an official level or at a grassroots level, for the work that you're doing to really empower women? And, to, and you're shining a light on areas that I'm sure society would like to ignore, mm -hmm. the sexual assault and, and various different things like that. I mean, what kind of reaction are you actually getting in Liberia? Well, you know, it's, it's very important because for me, I'm very cautious. I run a safe home, and I don't want people to know where my safe home is. And so um, getting our clients to and from the safe home, we use different routes, different vehicles. Some of my vehicles are not marked because the government um, wants to have everybody, you know, have visual who owns this car that's moving up and down. But for security reasons, we have asked that some of our cars are unmarked. We shade some of the windows just so our clients feel safe and confident. But for myself, too, I'm cautious because um, when it comes to people knowing where you are all the time and knowing the pattern of your life, it, you are very vulnerable. Do, to, are to, you a target of violence? Well, not yet. Not yet. Um, for the fact that it's probably the strategy or tactics I use. Um, if there's a very sticky um, case out and everybody, oh, you know, Rosanna has a safe home, and people will call, you know, do you know this case? I'm, really? You know, I heard about it, but no, she's not in my safe home, you know. So we have to find ways of, of not being in the limelight, though we are. But we, we, we stay in the shadows just for, for protection. Rosanna Shack is receiving the 2015 Loop Award Leadership Overcoming Obstacles of Peace. It's being given by the Denver-based New Dimension of Hope in Denver on June 6th, 2015. Rosanna Shack is the founder and executive director of Think Inc. Touching Humanity in Need of Kindness in Liberia. Rosanna, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Thank you for having me.